God through this indwelling and this abiding with Jesus Christ. It's the real you with all the garbage more and more and more set aside so that we get to live our design in union with God. And we looked also at, at recognizing all the truths that describe our identity in Christ. And even, even this morning, I hope you were listening as we sang some of those songs of recognizing our identity as children of God, recognizing our power and authority to grow and please God because of Jesus dwelling within us. And I want us to look at the passage uh, that Joe read for us early this morning. So if you want to go to Matthew 28, and reading verse 18, 19, and 20 again, this is Jesus after his resurrection, his, his last earthly words to his disciples before he ascends. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here's Jesus. Again, in his, in his last words to his disciples, and he's saying, because you're mine, I'm sending you out to make more. Because now you've been my disciples and I've accomplished something in you, I'm sending you out to make more. So he starts with, with go, but then it's make disciples And he puts a, a couple of points in that. And he says, baptize them. And then he says, teach them. And it's not just teach them stuff. Obviously, teaching stuff is embedded in there. But it's teach them to observe. And this word in the Greek, it's, a, it's an active verb. And what it means, teach them to do. Teach them to observe it with their actions, to observe my teachings with their choices, with their thoughts, their attitudes, their, their behavior, their, their outworking of words and actions into the world. Teach them to pay attention to me in practical ways. Now, we also have in Acts 1.8, and we won't go there, I'll just quote it. But in 1.8, where Jesus says, don't do anything yet. First, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, once you have power, you will be my witnesses. So this go out and baptize means go proclaim the truth. And as witnesses, invite. So I expect, actually I know this for a fact. I expect many of you, without necessarily becoming preachers or Sunday school teachers, or evangelists, many of you have had moments where you could invite someone else to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Many of you have had a moment where you would just share the truth of Jesus and invite somebody to do something with that knowledge. And that's what he's saying here, is that every single one of us is called to go and invite people to eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And some might do it as a full-time ministry. Some might do it in the backyard over barbecue with a neighbor. But that every single one of us gets to say, I'm involved in the process of inviting people 
into the love relationship and the faith relationship, into the salvation and the forgiveness available through Jesus' death that we just celebrated a few minutes ago in communion. I get to invite anybody to that. But now in terms of this disciples, no big uh, rocket science here. A disciple is a dis... Let's see. I think I can know. Look at that. Is a disciplined follower. And we're not going to try to look at all the disciplines today. But part of what what the word means is Jesus is saying, you don't just shoot from the cuff. You, You don't just sort of lackadaisically roll into this. That there is a commitment to pursuing the things that strengthen you and I as a follower of Jesus Christ. So if I follow him, if I'm a disciplined follower, I have to be choosing to go in the directions that Jesus goes. So you and I will spend the rest of our lives coming to understand in deeper and deeper ways, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And hopefully every one of us in the room who who has already put our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been doing that. We've been following Jesus. But this proactive verb means I keep understanding more and more how to follow him. And then I'm inviting inviting other people to be disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. I invite them to just know him. I invite them to trust him, but I don't stop there. That every single one of us gets to play some role in teaching others to be discipled followers of Jesus Christ. So... Let's go to James for a second. And in James chapter 1, a passage that I know many of you are very familiar with. But starting at verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And he goes on to describe someone who who listens to the word, hears the word, but then doesn't become a doer of the word. They're like an incredibly forgetful person who looks in the mirror and then immediately forgets what they look like. That doesn't even sound normal. Some of us might not want to remember what we just looked at, but that's a whole different thing. What he's saying is, Stay in the word because it will keep showing you who you are. And not as we've been talking about your new identity in Christ. We don't go into the word to find out how horrible we are. That's there too. We go into the word to find out who we really are in Jesus Christ. We go into the word to find out what we're really capable of in Jesus Christ. We go into the word to find out what is our true purpose in life. So not what purposes will the world hand me. Or what image and definition and identity will the world hand me? I need to go into the world that I'm look. I mean, into the word that I'm looking at a true mirror of the character and the life of Jesus Christ, reflected in me and reflected in you, so that we know what our life is really about, and we go do it. So again, this disciplined follower, pure and simple, is a doer of the word and that is that is always about constant growth nobody's finished 
And nobody's failing just because we're not finished. And that's important to know too. Because I sit in this forgiven relationship with the Father because of the mediation and the death of Jesus, I'm not a failure because I still have growing to do. So is there anybody in the room who would raise your hand and say, well, this is amazing, but I need to admit, I've finished growing. I have reached full Christ-like perfection. We'll wait just in case there's any hands. No, there are no hands. All of us are still on that journey. If we're a real believer, we're on that journey. Now, I also need to say this. If we're not a believer, if we have not even put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not even on the journey of growth. This is about disciplined followers of Jesus. Not about someone in a, in a self-improvement program. Not somebody about who's cleaning up their act or polishing up their image. But someone that is pursuing intimacy with Jesus Christ where more and more and more it changes our thoughts, it changes our words, it changes our attitudes and actions because we're following Him and we keep growing at that following. Now, We look at poor Peter every now and then, but go to Galatians. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. And, and I want us to look at this, not so that we make fun of Peter. Uh, because man, Peter was way ahead of us, but he still struggled and had his, his challenges. But we're looking at this in terms of the recognition that a disciple in order to make other disciples, in order for me to teach others the real thing, I have to be understanding and growing and understanding and doing and growing and doing the real thing. So let's look at Peter's struggle here, starting in verse 11 of Galatians 2. And this is Paul. Um, Cephas is Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. That idea is presented over and over again. And so here's Peter, who is a disciple. He is a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. He's a leader in the church. He has a profound impact on other people's lives. He is supernaturally gifted already. He actually has the Holy Spirit dwelling within him to be a teacher and a leader and, and an example that others can learn from. And yet here's Peter in a moment of weakness, in a moment where he's too concerned about what other people think of him. He's too concerned about being accepted by people who set an artificial standard for that acceptance. 
And so Peter denies the grace of the gospel by his example. I I trust that Peter would have still been able to teach the doctrine of grace. But if he'd gone into a little Sunday school class off to the side, he could have taught the doctrine of grace. He could have taught the doctrine of completion in Christ that was accomplished apart from and in defiance of the law that was available to everybody, Jew or Gentile. Peter is the one that God gave him a vision to preach the gospel to the Gentiles because God showed him that once God declares something clean, it's clean. And so that artificial division between Jew and Gentile, that somehow Jews were clean because they followed the law, and Gentiles were dirty, Gentiles were untouchable, that God revealed to Peter, look, you're clean, Peter, because you've put your faith in me. Not because you're a good Jew. You put your faith in me. Now preach the gospel to Cornelius and his family, because if they put their faith in me, they also will be clean. Peter had had that miraculous vision and that miraculous opportunity. He was the first one of the disciples to preach the gospel to non-Jews and to watch God do that amazing work to bring Cornelius and his whole family into into the kingdom. That Peter is now pretending that he doesn't know better. And it's worth recognizing this, what he says here. The rest of the Jews, verse 13 join him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And and I like the way he says that. Even Barnabas. Barnabas is the dude of grace. He's like the, the bishop of grace. He's the one who took extra time and effort and even pulled away from ministry to go disciple John Mark when he fell away from ministry. And to bring Mark back into fellowship and back into powerful ministry. So that one day Paul would say, send me Mark. He gets it. He understands the ministry. It's that Barnabas that got carried away by Peter's example. And so part of, again, this this idea, disciples make disciples. If I'm not walking in the right direction... Or if I make excuses for why I'm going to swallow a little bit of the world or why I'm going to bend a little bit to the thinking of the world. And you know what? You know, Jesus died for me and I'm forgiven anyway, so no big deal. But the reality is my example will be affecting somebody's life. My compromise with the world or with the flesh my unwillingness to go deeper and understanding truth so that I speak truth and live truth, that will be having an impact. I will be a bad disciple making bad disciples. I know I've shared this before, but um, a few years back, I had a couple, a young couple come in for counseling, and they were just considering whether, whether they would make a good fit for marriage. And as we were praying and pondering and looking all, all those things together, Sort of surprised me that it merged that they were regularly engaged in sexual sin. And when we addressed that, they acted surprised that that was a problem. Why is that a problem? We know we love each other. And they had so purchased and bought into the ideas of the world that they didn't see the moral dilemma there. And when we started looking at scripture after scripture that talked about moral purity and and of holiness and of abstaining from, from intimacy until marriage. They'd never heard it. Or at least they'd never heard it taught. Which surprised me because they were 
involved in weekly Bible studies at a church young adult ministry. And over the next few months, I worked with several couples from that group. Every couple was involved in sexual sin. And then I found out that the pastor who was in charge of the young adult ministry was living in sexual sin with his girlfriend. So how could he get up and say, guys, I got to tell you about this. You need to pay attention to the word of God and, and cleanse yourself before God and find power and authority to please God. Even in this deeply intimate area of your life, you have authority to please God here. But because he wasn't a disciplined follower of Jesus in that area, his teaching was silent on that area. Every one of these couples were surprised when we brought these issues up and dealt with them. Because they'd been going to church for years, some of them. And some were, were very close friends with this pastor and his girlfriend. Now, a whole different question I, I, I don't recall if I ever addressed was, where's the rest of the church staff on this? Where are the elders of this church or the deacons of this church in addressing this? Different question. But his, his, his poverty of truth in this area of discipleship meant he was leaving others under his leadership also poor in the truth. Deprived of, tr deprived of truth. And it was, a, it was a struggle for some of these couples. But there were at least a, a couple of the couples who just said, okay, well, let's get after it. Let's figure out how to please God in this area. We're going to change our lives. They were desiring to be disciplined followers of Jesus. But the example before them hadn't presented it. And Peter's example here, it says, he led all the Jews in this fellowship astray. And so here was this broken fellowship in a local body of Jews and Gentiles that had been worshiping Jesus in union. And now because of Peter's false example, there was a break in that fellowship. That's tragic. And because it was public, Paul addressed it publicly. Because he said, this is too important. If we're trying to raise disciplined followers of Jesus, we need to make sure they understand the grace of God that unites Jew and Gentile, where Jesus is our holiness and our cleansing, not the artificial Jewish law that is finished in Jesus. It was wonderful while it served its purpose to point to Jesus. But now that Jesus is here, the law of Israel, not the moral law, but the laws for Israel were finished in Christ. And we better make sure disciplined followers of Jesus understand that so that they don't cower in fear before God over false application of the law in their lives. You and I are called to be disciples that help others understand the grace of Christ so they can grow in that grace. To understand the life of abiding in Jesus Christ so that others can grow in abiding in Jesus Christ. That we grow in love and joy and peace for real. Not just that we believe that as a doctrine and memorize the verses, but that we genuinely go, Father, I'm not experiencing a lot of love in my life. Let's figure out how to grow in that so that my life disciples someone else. Father, I'm lacking joy in my life. I'm lacking peace in my life. Father, let's figure that out so I can grow in that, so I have an example to share with others. Not so I can pat myself on the back, 
but so that I enjoy what it means to follow Jesus. And then I can enjoy having the impact where someone else learns about the love and the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ. And I can disciple them in those great truths. And again, let me say this. Oh, it's right there. I'll just underline it. This is the way I'll say it more. It's about growth. You and I never have to pretend we're finished growing. We can tell somebody else, I want to teach you some things about joy. And by the way, I'm still learning this stuff. I want to teach you about peace in Jesus Christ so that your thinking is, is under the authority of his sovereignty and his love and his care and his provision. And by the way, I'm still growing in this stuff. That is okay. We do not have to pretend we're, we're finished. But that we were again, we're followers. We're going in a direction with Jesus Christ. And then we get to tell someone else, come in this direction. I'm going in this direction as a disciplined follower of Jesus. Like Paul says, I've not yet arrived, but I'm going to press on. Come press on with me. Learn this stuff with me. Let's go in this direction together. If you go to um, Titus chapter 2, there's the Timothys, there's the Thessalonians, then there's Titus. And I don't know if the, uh, the original arrangers of Scripture knew this, but Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus, let's see, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, they're in alphabetical order. Just you know, a little thing. I bet they didn't know that since they didn't speak English. <laughs> but here's chapter 2 of Titus. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Speak them. But then he goes on to this. Older men are to be temperate. Oh, I can't just speak it. I've got to live it. Because uh, I'm an older man now. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, well, I'm working on dignified. I'm not there yet, I promise you. Sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself. Here it is again. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. With purity in doctrine. So believe and teach the right things. Dignified sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And so this admonition, which, which applies to the church always, is he saying, you older ones, be making disciples of the younger ones. Older men, teach younger men. Older women, teach younger women. We've talked about this before too. Somebody's younger than you, be teaching someone. So it doesn't mean wait till you're gray, but every single one of you, a teenager can be teaching someone who's younger in the faith. A 10-year-old can be encouraging a 9-year-old. This is real. That every single one of us in this room, as, as Fran was saying earlier, every single one of us in the room is gifted by the Holy Spirit to have an impact in the body of Christ. 
So if I just understand this much, I can be encouraging somebody who understands this much. And I help them along. Now, here's something that most of you, I think, do know. When you're busy helping someone else, you grow. When, when you're a, a, a mature, you know, walking with God for years believer, and now you're teaching a class of children, you grow. 10,000 years ago, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was teaching a third grade class. And it amazed me the constant awareness that teaching third graders is helping me grow. And it was the kind of thing where I could say, you know what? I know this stuff enough that I could just walk in cold and teach third graders. And God's saying, don't you dare walk in cold. I want you immersed in the word. I want you praying. I want you praying for each one of those kids by name. I want you preparing for that hour supernaturally. And lo and behold, it was incredible challenge and help and nurture for me to grow. As I prepare, and I, I, I almost didn't want to say this, but I'm going to say this. As I prepare to teach here on Sundays, I really suspect it helps me more than it helps you. Now, I hope it really helps you. I trust that it does. But I know it helps me to be in prayer, to be in the Word, and to be preparing to just encourage someone else along the journey. Every single one of us gets to appreciate that harvest of gain from teaching and encouraging someone else. So whether you're an official teacher teaching a group, or that you're just prayerfully looking for someone else to encourage. And again, I would say that. David, how old are you? Ten. Ten. How old are you? Twelve. Twelve. How old are you? Eight. How old are you? You're also ten. Okay. Do we have anybody less than ten? Okay. From ten up in this room... Every single one of us is equipped that if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ and we're learning truth and we're desiring to be a follower, a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ, every single one of us, including a 10-year-old, can turn around and encourage someone else. Pray for someone else. See if someone else needs help or encouragement. So the admonitions throughout the New Testament to teach, to encourage, are frequent. We get to be disciples who make disciples. And we get to be careful disciples that we say, Father, I want to keep growing in the whole truth. I don't want you to let me get away, Father, with blind spots so that I leave someone else without the proper truth. Keep helping me grow. Grow. Let's pray. Father, we know, we know we're not finished. But I thank you that you've made it real clear that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the covering of your son's righteousness, it's actually possible for, walk, for us to walk in a way that pleases the holy God of the universe. That we get to be doers of the word. As Peter himself said, Father, that we get to keep growing to be holy because you are holy. We get to keep growing to be like you. And that while we're growing to be like you, while we're growing to be doers of the things you teach, Jesus, that we get to invite someone else along. We get to show someone else the way. 
We get to encourage and teach and help someone else right along beside us, Father. And I thank you that every believer in this room is equipped for this. That we don't just learn all these amazing truths of what it means to be your disciples. We understand that the heart of Jesus was immediately this way. That if we are disciples, then making more disciples is natural to this life. Making more disciples is the absolute normal outgrowth of loving and following Jesus Christ. It's just normal for us. Help us to grasp that, Father. And thank you that you also said this in your word. That every single one of us possesses the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So that we can grow in doing this effectively. Not perfectly. Not worried about whether it's as good as what someone else does. But that we are individually equipped to keep growing in making disciples. Help us to share this vision with you, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.